Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hi, Catherine. Hey. Hey. I'm, uh, I'm consuming some of your Twitter content right now. Oh, yeah? It seems like... Moses, what's up with Moses' teeth? Ah, uh, they're falling right out of his little head. But oh. I know, I'm told it's normal. Yeah, so dogs have baby teeth too? Oh yeah, yeah, Moses is my puppy, teeth. if you are just uh, new to the show. How's he doing? Uh, good, he's big, you know, a great companion during the pandemic. You know, every night we take him to the park, and he runs mm-hmm. around with the other dogs, and it's this great joy where you see what was... Like his natural state. Yeah. Not like sort of sitting by you while you while you zoom all day. That's not like the the natural state of a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Zoom, it's Was uh, I speaking of Zoom? <laughs> I think we were talking about Zoom. No, um we're we're gonna talk today about winter and this all in part uh was prompted by a question from a listener. So why don't we why don't we play the voicemail we got and then we'll chat. Okay. This is Ricky from Chicago, and I am seeing the weather change very rapidly from summer to fall. And I also find myself reading some articles that somewhat reference the future and what it's going to be like in this new situation of social distancing and coronavirus during the winter months. Um, but they're not really giving me a full picture, and I'm not sure that a full picture is even possible. But I would love if you both would talk a bit about just some things to keep in mind, because I find myself just much more comforted when I can kind of think about what's going to happen and maybe change as time goes on and prepare for that ahead of time. Um, And I think others might, too. Thanks again, everyone. Bye. Okay, I have this question, too. Yeah. I mean, I've been dreading. I dread the winter every year. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's the worst. And I don't like the cold. Especially in New York where like people are, spend more time outdoors than in the kind of places where you have a garage and you just go from your garage to another garage. Right, right, right. Yeah. Long walks in the freezing winter are tough. But anyway, um, it seems like it's going to be awful. But that's what I want to ask you. What are we headed into here? We had this period where it was like the summer. We're going to get a little relief. Um, we can all be outside. But we're heading into the winter, and yet again, we're in this situation where it's, you know, the sort of period of relief we had, we didn't use that as a country to get cases down to low enough levels. And so we're going into yet another season with the same problem on our hands, which is we have case counts, what, they're around 40,000 a day right now? Yeah, which Anthony Fauci told me, you know, we need to get it down to 10. To 10,000? For it to be... He said he said this to me in an email two and a half weeks ago now. He said, within the next few weeks, we really need to get our case counts down from, from 40 to 10 a day as a country in order, in order to, to, stay, to stay in control of this, which uh-huh. is maybe a bit of an optimistic spin that we are in control now. But um, we're nowhere near 10, and that idea of a few weeks is um, close upon us. So to me, that's one of the most salient warnings that I've heard from him. He's pretty reserved yeah. in, you know qualitative assessments of where we are but to just say we need to drop our cases by 75 percent yeah yeah it means we need drastic measures right now and right 
no one would want to shut down. In fact, the whole country is mostly moving the opposite direction. So given that we didn't get it down to 10,000, what happens now? Well, we prepare for this sort of confluence of factors that that involve <laughs> fatigue of the things that we've been doing and just sort of complacency and people breaking their bubbles and getting tired of, of distancing or feeling like they're not that bad because they haven't gotten it yet. And the same time that schools are, are reopening in places and people are being driven more indoors, restaurants are opening indoors in, in New York, people don't want to sit outside to gather anymore, there are going to be winter holidays, all kinds of things coming together. And we're also not going to have this magical vaccine that the president is promising anytime in any meaningful way this winter, which we've discussed. Are we also worried about this coinciding with flu season? What's the concern there? Well, people have different takes on exactly how bad the flu would be this year because we are, you know, avoiding a lot of the contacts that we have in the past. But Right, right. Basically, if you're trying to reopen anything, whether it's a school or a business or, you know, a court or whatever, normally, you know, we have sniffly coffee people all around us. We get used to that. Mm -hmm. And this year we just kind of can't. If we had a rapid test where we could say definitively, yeah, you're coughing, but you don't have coronavirus, so you can come on in. We don't have that test, so everyone who's sniffly, cold and flu-like symptoms is going to definitely need to isolate and stay at home. And that means, yeah, we might have lower numbers of flu cases this year if we do that, but that would obviously damage any attempt at reopening or returning to, to normalcy, right? Yeah, so... The vaccine and testing, those factors going into the winter is something that we talked about recently at the Atlantic Live Festival. And I have a bunch more questions for you, but I thought we could play a little bit of this live session we did this week at the Atlantic Festival because we talked to Alexis Madrigal, the staff writer and founder of the COVID Tracking Project. We talked a little bit about how the vaccine and testing situations are going to influence the winter. So why don't we play that? And then um, we'll come back and I have a bunch more questions because I always have a bunch more questions. <laughs> so, like I said, this is a live taping and we actually, our show is very informal and it's really just about answering basic questions that people have. Jim is a doctor. Alexis knows everything about testing and tracking. So, uh, you know, feel free to direct your questions to them. But I was going to start off with some of the questions that are on my mind uh, this week. I mean, we've reached a pretty grim milestone, 200,000 deaths, and we're heading into winter. And I've been worried about winter since the beginning. For several months now, I've been thinking the winter is not going to be good. We're so dependent on being outside right now. Um, and then a couple months ago, uh, the CDC director, Robert Redfield, said the winter is going to be probably one of the most difficult times that we've experienced in American public health. Um, that's terrifying. Yeah. It seemed like the writing is on the walls as you go through New York and every like the solution to so much life has been just do it outside or just open windows, just push people into uh, empty uh, parking spaces that are makeshift restaurants. And uh, now just sort of fall is starting to be in the air. Restaurants are starting to allow for 25 percent capacity. Um Schools are reopening. Uh, kids, not all kids, but some kids are meeting in class. 
so it's a sort of perfect storm that makes a lot of people worry about resurgence. And now one of the things about this that is kind of confusing to talk about is that there's so much regional variation and there's so much uncertainty. So Alexis, I'm curious, um, I'm wondering, you've been following the numbers the whole time. What do you think the winner's going to look like? Do you, have you gamed out different <laughs> sort of possibilities? Yeah. I mean, I think the base case here, the sort of default scenario, is that things get a lot worse. There is an alternative scenario, though. And, you know, I think if we really, if we look at what happened during, you know, the Sunbelt surge, we were actually better able to contain it than I thought as we were going through it at the time might happen. A lot of overlapping sort of half steps, a lot of imperfect but smart things kind of came together to bring transmission rates down and eventually to sort of contain those outbreaks in Arizona and Texas and Florida without very you know extreme measures. We didn't get to suppression levels. We didn't actually get rid of the virus, but we stopped, you know, kind of runaway growth. And I think the big question for me this winter is whether that same thing will happen. Like we know cases are going to grow. It's just like if we're sitting on this plateau of 40,000 cases a day, yeah, the virus is pretty much everywhere. So, you know, if you just kind of look at the basics of what we've seen with this virus, if you've got community transmission kind of everywhere, and you then increase the amount of mobility and interaction that people have, you know, you kind of increase the metabolism of a a city or state or region, you're going to see more cases. I mean, it's just happened time and time again. There is this like sort of this scenario in this pandemic, though, where masking helps not only with COVID, but also with the flu, where testing begins to catch more contagious people, where a vaccine rolls out among crucial uh, populations for controlling the virus. And maybe you don't see the darkest winter in public health. Um, When I really like look at the scenarios, you see this kind of tremendous divergence. Maybe it's only 500 people dying a day at the end of December, or maybe it's 1,500. That's a huge difference, like particularly, um, you know, you're talking 80,000 people in the hospital at any given time versus, you know, 20,000 people in the hospital. I mean, these are hugely different numbers and a hugely different sort of on the ground reality uh, for the United States. And it's very hard to know precisely how to weight them, though, like I said, I think the base case here is that things don't go well. There's no scenario where we get this under control soon. This is definitely with us through the winter in a devastating way. Is that your sense? That would yeah. be my sense. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. If Alexis said anything other than that, I would jump in and correct him. I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> I think there's been, you know, the talk of a vaccine existing has been conflated with the idea of a vaccine being widely distributed. We need to plan totally. for a winter where a vaccine is not part of our lives. And I, I mean, addressing all, you know, the three of us and everyone probably who's listening, unless there are sort of essential workers among the, the listeners. Um, there are talks, you know, Dr. Fauci said that he would be uh, happy if the vaccine were 50% effective. Uh, ideally, it would be closer to 75%. Right now, you have a, a poll saying about 50% of Americans would try a vaccine if it were available now. So 
Vaccine's not going to get rid of this. You know, Lexus is following cool testing developments, which can help. And we're hoping November there are rollouts of rapid tests. But those are not going to be perfect. Um, They're not going to be instantly everywhere. And (laughs) the confluence of weather and a lack of economic stimulus, um, you know, I think people are reaching a breaking point where there is going to be, there are going to be a lot of things coming together right at the same time. On the vaccine, Jim, you mentioned that it may only be 50% or 70% effective. Can you explain what that means? So no vaccine is perfect, just like no medicine is perfect, no test is perfect. At best, a vaccine offers offers you a really good shot, a really good likelihood that if someone coughs in your face while they're infectious, that you're going to be protected, you're going to have immunity. Um, but uh, our best vaccines are not 100%. There'll always be some people who don't mount an effective immune response or whose immune response fades. Um, so there's been discussion about what the effectiveness of this vaccine or these vaccines against this coronavirus will end up being and how effective would they need to be to even be worthwhile. And we don't know yet. We're waiting on these clinical trials. It's very possible, even likely, that that effectiveness will end up being between 50 and 75%, meaning that you're very likely to be protected if you have it, but you would probably still want to avoid, you know, really high risk scenarios. Um, Once you get a whole population that's vaccinated at that level, it's effectively gone. But when you're just rolling it out to start with, it doesn't mean that you go back to doing things exactly like you used to do. Like the night you get vaccinated, you go out and do karaoke with all your friends uh, or whatever people are, like, you know, really looking forward to. The point is that we could that would, it would it would be miraculous in terms of like number of cases dropping, number of fatalities dropping. But as long as there's still that possibility, it means life does not go back totally to normal. Right, right. Okay, well, let's talk about testing because we're getting some questions about testing and and I have these questions too. Um, Here's a question from John. What uh, are the realistic prospects of mass availability of cheap, rapid, at-home antigen testing? Um, Is this the kind of thing where in December I'll be able to go into a drugstore, buy a box of, you know, paper strip antigen tests and test myself every day? Is that going to happen or we're really far away from that? I... I think there'll be something available, maybe not in December, uh, but um, later in the winter and into the spring, I think there'll be such tests available. Right. Um, One hope might be that essentially the antigen test can soak up some of the sort of less vital demand for tests so that PCR tests can be targeted at people who did exactly have like a high risk exposure or who, who have presented with symptoms and that antigen testing can be used in, in some of these other ways. You know, there, and there's other technologies that are coming along. Like for schools in particular, pooled testing, where you take a bunch of different samples and run them through the same machine, like in one sort of uh, test. This technology is kind of like coming along and it just has some features that are quite nice for workplaces and schools and places where you kind of know the group You can sort of assign risk factors to them um, and you know you're going to have sort of like continued uh, interaction with those folks. And so, you know, this is kind of one of my, again, this goes back to kind of like my main theme of, which is you have all of these things coming online that could help in some way. And when you sort of layer them all on top of each other, you know, some social distancing, 
pretty good mask adherence in lots of places, better testing of different kinds and in different layers and with a, a system that's just kind of more robust. Some vaccine, tiny bit probably, says Jim, and I think I probably agree with that, you know, but like for some people who would, who, where it would be very important, um, like you layer all those things on top of each other. And does that get you somewhere? You know, that, that mm-hmm. really is like kind of like the, the question for me. Um, like, yeah, I don't think there's any way you're going to, that all those things are going to knock the virus out, but does it get you to kind of doing what we've been doing so far, which is bumping along with like the rate of transmission about one, which means, you know, each person that gets infected basically infects one other person. You don't get runaway growth of transmission, but you also don't really suppress the thing and you continue to have community transmission out there. And that's really the question. We've just been balanced on this kind of knife edge of RT equals one and are we going to see over the winter that go way up or are we going to see it go way down or are we going to be able to stay balanced on this knife edge even as winter comes because we have this set of tools that help us kind of stay close to that number. Right, right. Um, Talking to both of you has been what's gotten me through this and I just appreciate you both for doing that. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Okay, so Jim, that was what we talked about at the Atlantic Festival, but we only had limited time, and I have more questions. So uh, can I ask you some more? Uh, Yes, I will do my best. So, I mean, can you give me some practical advice for the winner? Like, do I need to behave differently than I have been? Are there things I need to be really watch out for? during the winter, during the cold months? I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be able to be outside with people as much. Well. It seems like social life will kind of contract. But what else do I need to be thinking about? It will vary where you are, depending on where you are in the country, in the world. Right, because we should note, I mean, I'm from Texas. My family's in Texas. And the summer are the months where you can't go outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like the winter is fine in a lot of places. It's the summer where being outside will hurt you. Um, yeah. So uh, I imagine in lots of parts of the South and the Southwest, there's a period of relief on the way. But I don't know if that's actually playing out in the data in terms of people being inside or outside. Yeah. But, you know, even in those places, right, when you're hanging out and doing these high-risk, closer <laughs> types of activities, like you're going to restaurants and bars and parties at night outside still in the summer, right? Mm-hmm. I think those are the places where you're going to, you know, when people are physically in close contact and it's harder to regulate, it's sort of easier. You're seeing this with colleges too, right? Like you could keep a classroom pretty safe with ventilation, with, with space and like physical barriers and masking. And probably where you're going to see transmission is at the parties at night mm-hmm, <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in the winter. They might be able to do outside in the summer. I mean, the reality is our social lives have to contract, right? Um, I, like if I, you're I in a cold place, you can't. The, the reality is you're just not going to be able to see as many people as you could before because all these meetings have been happening outdoors. Yeah, that's the difficult thing, right? And I know in New York, like a vast majority of, of restaurants have not been able to make their rent. Right. There have been eviction moratoriums that have been kind of extended for s- small businesses and for tenants. And you might have financial imperatives for people to go to jobs indoors. You might have, you know, in addition to whatever complacency or need for social interaction drives mm-hmm. people to right. just need to get out of our apartments and into, or just like try to go out to dinner and like 
Right, because the other thing that's coinciding with this is the running out of a lot of the aid, (sighs) which was enabling businesses to keep running. And that was kind of enabling a lot of things that were allowing us to continue distancing. Right. So at a practical level, it's kind of like, how do I form the necessary bonds to keep myself, you know, mentally healthy Mm -hmm. and functioning and feeling socially connected to friends and family without doing, you know, these, these dangerous things. And it goes hand in hand with the fact that a lot of people are going to be in need and you can probably maybe busy yourself by trying to take care of, you know, your community and friends and and family. But yeah, that that's a, a personal thing that kind of will look different to different people in different scenarios. Right. Right. But that's important to remember that as our sort of like, physical proximity to people probably likely diminishes in the winter, that's actually an indication of more more need um, to reach out to people for, for you and for other people too. Like if you're not seeing people, check in on how they are. Yeah. So um, kind of, I think, interrogating what it is that you get out of the social interactions that you can't do and then finding deliberate ways to try and recreate those things and that can start now with planning to just say you know i'm not going to be traveling home for the holidays in a traditional way but here's what i love about the holidays and here's how we're going to recreate those elements of it right and start planning now so it doesn't feel like this last minute disappointment where everything's canceled but it feels like a deliberate act right right one of the things you've emphasized which has been helpful is just plan for reality or accept reality, right? Like this isn't, the virus didn't magically go away this summer. We don't have a vaccine. Testing is not ramping up in the way that would sort of magically enable a very different way of life uh, anytime soon. So we're we're still dealing with this. Yeah. There's going to be interesting distinctions around what is allowed and what Mm -hmm. is recommended and i think a lot of people are thinking for example restaurants will be open for 25 percent capacity in new york right and that's a right. sort of financial imperative right now well arguably but i think that's part that's certainly part of the reasoning it doesn't mean it's completely safe to be in a restaurant right yeah i mean i think that's the theme overall right it's like even if there are these sort of external indicators that things have changed such as oh People will are calling back into offices. There's going to be a, a vaccine in November. Offices will be back in January. Um, in, indoor restaurants will be opening up. Like that doesn't actually mean that the situation has changed. It doesn't mean it's risk free for sure. I think that's one of the confusing things about these milestones. There's sort of a temptation to interpret them as uh, being that things are somehow better, but they're not. We're still at forty thousand cases a day. Yeah. It's sort of like setting a speed limit, right? We mm-hmm. have thousands of people killed every year by cars, and yet we set a speed limit at a certain place just saying, I guess, here's where we're going to set the balance. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean driving 65 is safe. Right. But I mean, you're for instance, if you're in a situation where uh, you have the option to work from home or people saying, you know, oh, my office is going to open back up for some people, like... If you have the option, don't go. Yeah, right? I think that's a good contribution. That you know, we we're gonna we have to do certain things, but every every decision like that we can make is is helping to diminish the pool of possible infectious right. people in your personal life right. and professional life, and, and hopefully businesses will be conscious of that. And 
supportive of it. We also need to think about, you know, symptoms of depression and uh, substance abuse and things that tend to increase in, in wintertime always. Yeah. And people around you who might not even care about the virus, might be recovered from it, might, uh, are there going to be additional risk factors just because their bowling league is canceled or whatever that normally was really important to them? Yeah. I mean, again, it's just one of these things where it's like, just because things are opening back up doesn't mean they're any safer than they were when we all shut down in March, right? Like, it. I, I, mean, I hope they're safer than March, you know, at least, you know, think about the idea of wearing a mask around for right, most right, Americans. Right, right, right. It was just like, that is, um, you know, wildly overcautious. Um, right, right. And certainly wouldn't be part of the lives of of most people and now right. they absolutely are. And, you know, that's one of the hopes that I heard from while reporting this story, which I have, that masks will get better, you know, more effective and more comfortable mm-hmm. to wear mm-hmm, mm-hmm. among other technological advancements that sort of all add to chipping away at this and that our best case scenario for the winter is one where cases and deaths are not that high. But that only happens if our lives are significantly different from any other past winter. Right. I mean, we're at the beginning of fall here. Things are opening back up in certain ways cautiously, most notably maybe schools, but also some offices, also some businesses that have been doing things outdoors. What are the chances that we end up in a situation in, I don't know, November, December, where we're we have to lock things back down where school stops, where the restaurants that have been operating at 25% capacity close, where offices close. You know, are we sort of inevitably setting ourselves up for a situation where we have to go back to the extreme lockdowns? You know, it, it could. I think the strongest measure we could take to prevent that would be um, financial stability and support for small businesses and right. workers to know that they can take safety precautions to prevent that from happening because that 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 would be a worst case scenario just economically right you know that businesses feel like they are going to start cramming in as many customers as possible because otherwise they're going to go out of business so you know why not break the health codes um and and people are going to come to work when they are symptomatic or when they have like even if it's just a normal cold, uh, it's going to really complicate things, and we'll just, places whole places will just have to shut down because they weren't, you know, screening appropriately. Yeah, it, it's extremely messy, and that is, I think, what everyone wants to avoid, and that's why as <laughs> burdensome and annoying as regulations and careful reopening plans are, they are better than the alternative. Of, right. Right. Well, just no one leave home. Right, right. So yeah, I think a lot of this conversation for me is just helpful in just being like, listen, <laughs> this is going to continue to be hard and we have to continue to be vigilant. Um, yeah. What, so I can do that. I can sort of prepare mentally for the idea that this is very going to be a very uncertain fall and we may end up in a situation where we need to kind of contract life again if the virus starts really exploding. Um are there any like very, very practical things that I should be thinking about specific to the winter? Like what if I'm in a post office, the, you know, next person, is, we're trying to be distanced, but they say they have like a cold, you know, yeah, and they cough. 
<laughs> what do I do? Somebody. Uh, do I need to leave immediately? Somebody, one of the doctors I, I interviewed for this story about winter recommended that you immediately start exhaling through your mouth, like purse your lips so that the exhalation lasts a long time and then turn away immediately and just walk. So really, if you're in an enclosed space and somebody's coughing, like exhale and get out of there. Well, that was the super clinical, like physiologic thing. I know there are social scenarios and, and things where you might be thinking, I just waited 30 minutes because our post office is right, right, inadequately right, right. funded and I don't want to go to the back of the line. Um, right. You know, but I would. And I, I would try to do everything like that as much online as possible. Okay. Any. Thing else I should be thinking about? Uh, this, this is a lot of it is just mental like, preparation and like don't let your guard down and also just be more aware that like the, the ventilation and distancing are going to be a little bit more difficult in the winter and we just have to adapt to that and be more vigilant ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Are you, do you know if you're going to stay in warm weather? I'm hoping to. I mean, yeah. I would I'm probably really do the same if I had Honestly, that. kind of afraid of coming back to New York. So I think I might stay with my family for a while. I think that is a nice option for anybody who's uh, who's considering it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm lucky to have the job flexibility to do that. But yeah, I if I can be in the South, that would be better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's actually something, too, that just all, you know, employers, managers – any place that has the capability to offer that is not just to like say that it's an option, but to make clear to everybody that that is extremely welcomed. <laughs> the more people who yeah. can do that, the better. And that, right. it, it, and um, that for your own employees, mental health and well-being. If you if you can go someplace where you're going to be able to be outside, where you're going to be able to not be alone, and all you know, <laughs> that'll be better for your company. That'll be better for our national economy. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very curious if if people are experiencing some pressure from their employers to kind of get or back or just uncertainty. Like we may, office, you know, reopen in January. Like no, <laughs> you're not going to do something differently in January than you're doing right now. That's what I that that is sort of my pet peeve right now is the January like deadline. It just is so nonsensical. I don't know why people are still saying it. You know, like why not just go ahead and say like obviously it's not January, but. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about new measures in the spring or something, then, then you know, that's yeah. something where hopefully we can. Right. But if your company is like, oh, we're going to open in January, they're participating in some wishful thinking. It prevents um, your employees from making confident long-term plans about how to, right. where to write out the winter without. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, this is this is a good reorientation. This is a good orientation to, to what's ahead for me. I think we have to mark the fact that we just reached 200,000 deaths in this country, which I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, we were at 100,000 win. Like it's double. Do you remember there was that study? This was like in July or something. It was like, we could reach 200,000 deaths by November 1st. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it was really, really alarming at the time. And now it's already happened. Right. It's, yeah. Uh... The, the Like the massive amounts of like grief and destruction that are happening right now it's just that's another thing to mark i mean we've we've talked a little bit about grief and but we haven't in a while i feel like that we maybe that's something that we should follow up and it's just the sort of there's continues to be like so many types of grief mm -hmm. happening right now and i wonder if there's something helpful 
to say about that? I think that would be great. For me, just the number of, you know, we're between 700 and 1,000 deaths a day in this country. And yeah. you get used to these things. and um, You can get numb to the yeah, yeah. To so, it when it goes on so long. And then to think, you know, that the winter might not be that bad if we only get as high as averaging 1,200 to 1,500 deaths a day. It just sounds weird to even say that, right? you know? Right, right. Well, I guess we should just say here, we're thinking of anyone who's lost someone. I mean, yeah, to go into winter already having experienced that is horrible. And I maybe there's something we can do to to talk about, you know, something helpful in terms of grief. I don't know. Yeah. I'll think about it. Yeah, I'll think about it. Anyway, it's my inept attempt to acknowledge the horrific. Okay, let me think about that, and we'll we'll talk again next. Week. Absolutely, we really should. Thank you for. Uh, hosting the live event that was fun i hope we'll oh yeah i'd never done one before i hope i did okay it was uh, sort of uh, nerve-wracking people said that i was talking over you so i feel bad about that yeah it was it was pretty obnoxious (laughs) i'm just kidding um no and thank you to kevin townsend who produced both that and this today you can write us at social distance at theatlantic.com you can also call us as our caller at the beginning did 202-642-6487 and um Check out the Atlantic Festival. It's running through Thursday. You can find it for free at theatlanticfestival.com. Good luck in Chicago, Ricky. The winters there are the worst. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk next week. Bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.